Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but this week, my good friend and co-host Scarlett Curtis turned 25. Today's co-host, big cheer everybody, 25, quarter of a century. Sorry, I didn't text you. I love you. (laughs) And I sent her as a present a video of me dancing in lockdown because I had showed no one. This is why it's a present. You might not think that's a present. I did actually check in with Scarlett's family members and they assured me she didn't want a voucher. Uh, She would want a video of me dancing. It came from them. But this is because I've showed no one in lockdown my dancing. I've done daily dance classes. And although many have asked, nay begged, I haven't shown anyone. And so I felt it was a feminist act to share and Scarlett would want this. It was an act of trust to reveal my dancing for the first time, full routine to the end of Christina Aguilera's Show Me How You Burlesque. And and more feminism. I did it just in leggings and a sports bra. That's right. Woo! That's right. Shame free. You're wondering where the butt's coming in. Uh, but this is where the butt comes in. But I haven't told Scarlett until this very minute that at the last second, I changed the choreography because I didn't like how my arms looked on the video. So the opening finger clicks, which Scarlett, you will have noticed were here. Were incredible, yeah. Video, were meant to be there, but that is such an unflattering angle for this arm. 
And I looked and I just went, I don't want that to be the opening. I don't want that to be the opening. I know I should be proud of my arms because they're strong. They're not that strong, actually, but they are. You know, they, they can lift what they can lift. I should be proud of my arms. Jamila Jamil, our guest today, she's got a whole thing where she's shaking her arms on her Twitter. And I, I can love that. my bingo wings. I love haven't them. got that. I haven't got that. I actually changed the choreography so as not to reveal the true excesses of my arms because I'm lying to myself about my arms a bit. I'm lying to myself. But I still sent, I want credit because I still sent the video of me in a sports bra and leggings fucking dancing. It was, the great, it was the greatest present I've ever received. And I think hmm. it might have been your subconscious talking because I actually thought it looked very good visually with the clicks towards the camera. Well, um, I mean, I obviously re choreographed it. It felt quite immersive. Felt like I well, that's what I thought. I'm a feminist, but when I forgot to get my dad a Father's Day present, I pretended that I didn't recognise the holiday on the grounds of it being a patriarchal capitalist <laughs> invention. And <laughs> gave him a half hour speech about why Father's Day was sexist and that was why I hadn't gotten him a present. <laughs> wow, you should have got him a video of you dancing. That makes a great gift. Yeah, um, I'm going with it now. I'm never celebrating it again decided it's, oh, it's a terrible it fall day on the same day as your birthday which it did seem a little birthday. bit upstagey it was so unfair the patriarchy can't give me anything <laughs> um i'm a feminist but i got excited today that after so much bad and traumatic news during lockdown we finally had a flippant story and it was wagatha christie rebooted and yeah. I immediately sent a link to Scarlett of this, frankly, scurrilous gossip about two wags. I can't believe I'm calling them wags. I am, which is short. If you're international, you don't know this term. It's short for wives and girlfriends of footballers. It's a hangover from the 90s, really, when sexism was uh, really very popular in the 90s. It was a, it was a, oh, it was, it, was, this, it was having a moment. Is this, I'm a feminist, but I use the word wag. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I'm a feminist, but I use it. Well, I've only used it in terms of Wagatha Christie, but it's about two footballers' wives. Oh, my God. They're being defined by their wifedom. I'm sorry for all of this. Uh, there's a spat in the media. Now, one of them's taking the other one to court. And I was just like, oh, so this, it reminded me of before lockdown news. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I just went, oh, I'm going to share this. I've just been chatting to Scarlett about this tonight. And I was like, Wagatha Christie's back. <laughs> uh, I'm a feminist. But when I'm doing an at-home workout, which I've been doing a lot recently, I exclusively pick male trainers uh, for the videos because it makes me feel a tiny bit like I'm flirting at the gym. And I've realised that that is the only way that I'm actually able to work out. Brilliant. That is brilliant. I love that one. These aren't male trainers that can see me. This isn't like a Zoom class. This is just YouTube videos of men where... I so you're flirting with the YouTube video? Yeah, so they, like... they go, oh, great sit-up. And I go, oh, thanks. I've nice. Been yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, when they do that on videos where they say, good job, I'm like, how the fuck do you know I'm not just lying here with a joint? Oh, I've reached uh, a point in lockdown where I'm like, he knows. We've got a connection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I got very excited to see that there was an enhance your appearance setting on Zoom. And I thought, I shouldn't use that as a feminist. What's wrong with my appearance as it is? I shouldn't use that. I shouldn't use that. I shouldn't use that. And then I was just going on a call and I thought, you know what? I'm, I might just pop it on. No one will know. Turned out it was already fucking on. <laughs> so depressing. That was a depressing moment. I was like, what? I thought I was going to be enhanced. I was already enhanced. 
I'm a feminist, but being in lockdown for three months with my three brothers, my dad, has made me realise that men are in fact the less complicated sex, and it would be a real relief to have a penis and no worries for a day or two. I don't know if it's just my brothers, but I seem to worry about everything and they seem to worry about nothing except pasta. Has been my experience. <laughs> I... I hear that. I do hear that. Although it's not the penis because my trans women friends also very complicated think things through. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the penis. I think it's the womanhood that is th fucking I you think, over. Yeah, I think so. We were swimming the other day and I got my, we were all swimming and I was braver than them and I was getting in the cold sea and they were all, you know, scared. And then I got my period on the beach and after all I do is talk about periods and I was very embarrassed and had to stay sat on the beach until they all left and I felt very sad. God, that sounds like something that would happen in year eight. I know. And I, I'm sorry for your lockdown. <laughs> sorry for your loss. <laughs> From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Frances White, guest co-host Scarlett Curtis, and very special guests Jamila Jamil and Sarah Crutwell talking about shame. Woo! Yay! Woo! We love shame! Thank you. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Scarlett Curtis, and today we're talking about shame. Uh, now, we do have some other people on the Zoom who are all going to come in a little bit later, but you never know, they might chip in in the meantime, so I'll introduce them and I'll just get them to say hi so you recognise their voices. Firstly, our house band, Grace Petrie and Folky Ben, who is locked in with Grace Petrie and cannot currently escape. Some people on the internet have been saying there's rumours that he's been kidnapped. Uh, she denies it, but to be honest, I don't know who the perpetrator is People here, are honest. concerned for his welfare, they are. But, you know, honestly, it's been a beautiful relationship in lockdown. Yesterday I said that I might buy a bike so that Ben and I could go on bike rides together. And then I said it might spice up our marriage. And Ben said, what did you say? I said... I. Give anything a go at this point. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. For the other people enough. on the call, the joke is that I am uh, <laughs> deeply homosexual. But uh, I'm sure you can tell that but from... We've been from engaging from in some light cosplay of a, of a... I think when you say deeply, it automatically sounds rude. Do you think so? Okay. Yes. Um, professionally. <laughs> professionally, uh, I think, yeah. is, is highly accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Sarah Crutwell, who's going to come in with a poem later. Hello, Sarah. Hello, hello, hello. A very special guest all the way from Los Angeles. We're so excited to have her here. We're big fans, but also delighted to pick her brains for all sorts of feminists going on. It's in the incredible Jamila Jamil. Woo! Oh, God. Woo! <laughs> Woo! All Jamila Jamil has said there is, oh, God. Uh, yeah. And uh, she's, ter she's terrified of us picking her brains. And finally, my co-host for this evening is the wonderful Scarlett Curtis. Yay! This is the, potentially the highlight of my lockdown. I mean... <laughs> today, my I caught my 93-year-old granny sunbathing naked in the garden. So it's been a great day. Oh, I that's mean, fantastic. I love your gran because I've seen your multi-generational tap dancing going on in the country where you're locked away. So it's you and your mum and your cousin and your gran is in her 90s and yeah, we still can tap dance. We like started a, like doing a... that because every day she was coming in and going, I'm so bored. I just miss my friends. 
So and you've replaced thought, it with tap. We thought tap dancing might help ease her boredom. Has it? No, 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 no. no she I'm not sure. still I mean, tells she's, us that she's, she prefers her friends and would rather not be with us. She's streaking. <laughs> she's she's rebelling by streaking. Respect yeah. it. Well, I quite like the idea of being so old. I don't have to censor anymore. I think that's the thing with old people. Sometimes people think, oh, they're really no. They just don't care. They're just looking at the end line and they're going. I could just say what I want now. And what are you going to do? I just keep seeing these videos of like people going and knocking on their grandparents' window and holding up signs. And my granny like actively avoids us at all points, even though we're living in the same house. (laughs) 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 Yes, I've seen that cuddle, that shower uh, curtain that you can cuddle your gran. You put your arms in it so that you're allowed to touch her and she will not hug me. Uh, look, <laughs> you know what this brings us though the fact that she doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do and she says what's on her mind brings us to our theme of shame Scarly because I think what we're seeing is an older person who's like I'm not ashamed of what I feel I'm not going to pretend I'm just going to say who I am and be who I am yeah she has no shame she was the first person that told me to get a vibrator <laughs> wow wow yeah. did she I'm good mm-hmm. advice how, how, <laughs> how, how old were you when she said very young I think less than 10 years old but she oh, said you should get okay, one but just don't use it too often which well I think yeah, so you know what too often is but it, it is good advice, advice isn't it yeah. it is good advice I'm not yeah. sure it's good advice for the under 10s just gonna put that out there but overall in life I would say that's well, not the worst advice a granny's ever given I don't know you know because little girls cannot stop wanking from like the age of about four onwards yeah. from what I hear and all my mates who've got little girls they cannot get them to stop really? wanking not for one minute no it is a wankathon all the way through to about 10 or 11 so I actually I actually think it's deeply hygienic well it depends to, to... on the child I suppose if you know yeah. that they are in, they have interest in that area yeah. No, I'm so serious speak, though. They are. Yeah. yeah it's just, more I've than the never bedpost. heard that. I didn't. I didn't know that. I was. I didn't <laughs> masturbate till I was very old. Oh, me too. But it's. But it's. But it's. But it's. Any day now. They start at around like four or five. I've heard, and so they just like that's it. I mean, there's eight thousand nerve endings there. Once they find it. How are you going to keep them off it? Yeah. Why did I not find it for so late then? I mean, I was, I did go into a very weird religion in my teens, which I've banged on about endlessly. Yeah, that but might be as part a, of it. But as a child, I didn't know or I didn't, I just don't think I knew what to do. And I certainly didn't know anyone was doing it. I was quite a Peter Pan of a child, to be honest with you. I do. I wasn't really interested in growing up. I was, I was the same. In fact, I didn't actually have my first orgasm till I was about 23 because no, I didn't, have any friends when I was younger and so no one told me that when you are about to orgasm you feel like you might pee you don't know it's a similar area and feeling and so I was terrified that that feeling was that I was going to piss and so therefore I willingly didn't have an orgasm would avoid orgasms during sex oh because you thought you might be in bed I was terrified I might piss on them yeah Yeah, oh, so I see. Well, some hello people everyone. Like I'm Jamila yeah. Jamil. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Some people like that. Some people like that. So, Scarly, what are your feelings about shame, if any? I have a lot of feelings about shame. I think shame has been probably the most dominant emotion in my life so far. Wow. Um, I think shame was the thing that almost killed me at certain points in my life. It was the thing that definitely defined a good decade of my life. And I think overcoming my own shame and figuring 
that out has been the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And also, Jamila has a huge part of that. So this is a perfect, huge role to play in one. Yeah, I shamed her. I shamed her. Basically, Jamila Jamil shamed her. She's responsible. She's responsible. And yet she comes back for more and is such happy to see it on a podcast. I mean, it's this is a virtue. This this, this whole thing is like a Jerry Springer, you know, shaming. Yeah, it's a a face off. Face off. That is just to be clear, very much not true. No. Jamila Um, is the reason I overcame my shame so this is a perfect topic for a perfect yeah she saw me and realised she's not that bad (laughs) (laughs) that's all of these things are not true Uh, I would say it's uh, the reason this show is called The Guilty Feminist because I felt like I wasn't doing feminism properly Mm. and Mm -hmm. the the title The Guilty Feminist came to me because I felt like women are always being made to feel guilty for things. And that really suits the patriarchy well. Because if you've, I mean, I don't have any kids, but if you've got kids, I know if you're at work, because everyone with kids tells me this, if you're at work as a woman, you're being told you should feel guilty because you're not looking after your kids well enough. There's lots of signifiers in society that will tell you that and literal individuals will say it to your face or write it about you on a blog or a or a WhatsApp group or something like that. But if you're at home, and you've got a career and you're looking after your kids, you're getting messages through that's making you feel guilty that you're not working more or things are being said about, well, are you really up for a promotion? Are you really up for it? Because you really do seem to be very interested in your children, don't you? And that's not loaded onto men because once they have children, they're generally then perceived as, so many male friends have said, oh, that's when my career stepped up because I thought I've got mouths to feed now. I've got to be a breadwinner. And they are given lots of signifiers by society that they are, rewarded for being career men. We don't really say career men. We say career women. I always think that the opposite of a career woman is a man. Um, They don't get a special (laughs) adjective. And there's all sorts of other ways where we're never doing anything right. We always have to feel guilty for everything. And there are some things that guilt, I think, is very useful for. But what I felt was feminism had become another thing to feel guilty about, that I wasn't doing that right. And how would I ever get it right? My assessment is that guilt, when carried in the body and not released, not exfoliated, becomes shame. And shame is luggage. You have to carry shame. And it's like having to carry suitcases, but the old kind without wheels. You know, when you had to carry, you probably don't remember Scarlett because you're 25, but, um, and only just 25, newly, freshly 25. But you used to have to carry suitcases back in the day. We got a man on the moon before we got wheels on a fucking suitcase. (laughs) That's true. No, that but true. I agree. I used to describe my shame as like 10 coats that I was wearing on top of each other at all times. So mm-hmm. similar vibe. Exactly that. It weighs you down. Our guest today is a presenter, activist and actor. You may know her incredible movement, I uh, or you may know her from the wonderful comedy on NBC that I think is one of the brightest, bravest and most revolutionary shows of the 21st century, The Good Place. It's Jamila Jamil! <laughs> so Jamila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I just feel like the internet hasn't heard enough of me. And so it's great to have <laughs> to finally have an opportunity to speak. <laughs> Well, I haven't had enough. I haven't had enough. I've been a big fan of yours for ages. Do you have yeah. an I'm a feminist but for us? Okay, yeah. I'm a feminist, but I've never, ever, ever 
in 10 years of dating, farted in front of a lover. Wow. I have, wow. I've got weird woman poo shame and wow. I don't want to have it. I disagree with it. I hate that about myself. I wish that I could just feel as free as men do about this, but I have deep shame about farting in front of men specifically that I'm trying to undo. I mean, I, I genuinely worry that part of why I got a dog is just so that I could fart in peace because I'm in lockdown. I'm locked in this house <laughs> day and night. Like I can't get away anywhere. So I can now blame it on the dog and just let my asshole be free. So... <laughs> See, I'm very scatologically phobic and I think it keeps the romance alive to not discuss scatology at all with one's romantic partner. Yeah. Um, or... From my Twitter, I seem like someone who shits with the door open, but that is very much you, so not you, who yeah, I am. Yeah, there's little gifts and like, <laughs> things, all sorts, all sorts. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. It's so not your brand. But see, we find out these things and thank you yeah. for sharing that. I'm going to ask Scarlett. You said before that Jamila had been instrumental in you losing your shame. So could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? So I think Jamila was instrumental in me losing my shame, not in shaming me. She's never shamed me for anything. Um, <laughs> me and Jamila met when I was 14 and I was very, very broken. And we've been friends for over a decade. And during that time, we've both been through sort of complete shit times and complete joyful times. And I think I've seen a lot of amazing things over our friendship, but the most amazing thing has been that I feel over the last decade, I've seen us both use feminism and the feminist movement to sort of heal our shame and heal each other and heal ourselves. I think we're gonna keep talking about shame, but for me, feminism and Jamila have pretty much been the way that I've escaped my shame. Um, when we met, I was in such a deep hole of it that it was sort of crippling me. Shame around physical illness and mental illness, shame around what I was experiencing, shame at how angry and opinionated I felt I was becoming. And it's the most crippling disease, but it's also the easiest disease in the world to get rid of, which is the weirdest thing about it because it feels so impossible to overcome, but all you have to do to overcome it is talk about it. And I think one of the powers of the feminist movement is to sort of contextualize individual experience within this big complex picture that so many people are going through and grappling with and experiencing. And when you're living with this extreme shame, it can feel so horrific. And then you start to read other people's stories and you start to understand why you're feeling that shame and what you're going through and it just sort of starts to disappear and I think Jamila has now cured so many thousands of people from their own shame but I sometimes feel like I was her test subject in her activism um oh, interesting. and when because it was before she was doing any activism she was just a mega t4 presenter um <laughs> and she used to come to my house and I was 14 years old and she used to sit on my bed and tell me stories about her life and the things she'd been through that were similar to what I was going through. And she'd encourage me to talk about things that I'd never talked about before. And this tiny, tiny act of her talking to me and making me talk and her telling me that I wasn't alone was literally the thing that saved, that saved my life. Um, it dissolved my shame. It healed me. It made me go from thinking that I was a completely broken, awful person to feeling like I was Jamila Jamil's friend, which was the coolest thing in the whole world. 
And if she was going through it, it was okay that I was going through it too. Um, and over the last few years, I've watched her work that magic on the whole world. And I've tried to let go of some of my jealousy that it's not just <laughs> me anymore. <laughs> and that she has other people that she's helping, which is fine, completely fine. You were patient zero though. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel a bit attention. In the, in the jamdemic, in the jamdemic. Yeah. That's what we're calling <laughs> um, No, but... She, I'm trying to not look at her on the Zoom right now because it's okay. embarrassing, but away. she is magical and the cleverest and most amazing person I know. But she's also doing something that should be the easiest thing in the world, but I think it's actually the hardest thing in the world. And that is why she has so much of an impact on me and on so many other people because she destroys shame with every word she utters. Um, and she does it, I think, because she's not scared of anything um, because she's been through it and come out the other side. And um, that one small act saved my life. And I think it's helped a lot of other people's lives too. Uh, both of us went to a really, really dark place at times in our lives and we both somehow made it out. Um, and I would not have made it out if it wasn't for her. And sometimes I think when I, when people ask me, which they seem to ask me quite a lot, what feminism is, uh, sometimes I think that's all it really is. It's like knowing how dark a hole the patriarchy can bury you in and how crippling and horrific that shame can be knowing that pain talking about it and never wanting another person to feel that way again if you can help it mm. um so yeah shame is powerful but so is jamila so we're all fine <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so Tom's got a clip of uh, some teenage activists from Turkey that came on the show a few weeks ago. They did a Zoom from Turkey. This is lovely. This feels like my funeral. It's taken a turn for this is your life, hasn't it? It doesn't normally go like this. I don't know. It's just happened. Uh, so Tom, could you just play the clip of the activists we had on a few weeks ago from Turkey? And they're only 17. I mean, I guess everyone has the same diet and same exercise program and, you know, the apparently the same genetics because everyone looks the exact same mm. on Instagram. So I thought that I had to look that way. And then um, I love Jamila Jamil. And one day I saw her platform on Instagram and she completely changed my life. And oh, she's coming on this show in a couple of weeks. Wow, I'm really so cool. excited. Really? She's, I'm going to play her this and she's going to cry. I love her. I mean, <laughs> she's the reason why I'm comfortable with my body, honestly. Oh, my oh, God. That is beautiful. Thank you. I wish I could film your faces. Like <laughs> when Deborah said that she was coming on the show. The, the I'm going to play her what you said. <gasps> Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Thank you for playing me that. That's incredibly they're, sweet. They're so young, those young women. And I did say mm. to them, there were lots of other people talking about fat acceptance and, and body acceptance. Yeah, they, I was going to say. And people that I know you've said, oh, I credit this person. But they weren't following those people and they were never right. going to. It was outside their world of what Instagram was. And well, this so, is the, it's the clusterfuck of privilege, isn't it? You know, like it's that really difficult line to walk where there have been people, I've been a fucking fat activist back when I was bigger than I am now. I was talking about all the same things I'm talking about now, but people just didn't used to listen. Like I did get to go and speak at parliament. I did like, I, I released a couple of clothing lines that were plus size, but generally most people just called me jealous of thin women and told me I was bitter 
and just lazy and therefore I wasn't worthy of being listened to. It's unbelievable that when I say the exact same things now, seven years later, I mean, these things are on tape of me saying them seven years ago. But now I say it when I'm on a hit show and I'm slim. Everyone's acting like they've never heard these words before. But I do understand what you mean, that certain people are being followed, which is the responsibility of the privilege to make sure that we open those doors and pass the mic. But I do feel say that I was listening to you back then. Thank you. Love you. Yeah, you were actually really cheering me on back then when everyone was telling me I was just a a quote unquote bitter fat cunt. That's what I used to get called by the paparazzi who used to uh, stalk me outside my front door day and night and uh, asked me if I was on my way to go and buy cake every time I'd be leaving to go and record my radio show. I was on a radio show. You couldn't even fucking see me. And they expected me to be skinny. Imagine that that's how hard the patriarchy is. They just need to know you're thin over the fucking airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. We are in such a different landscape now. But I think the argument, there are some feminists who feel like, do you have an ownership over this? Or I did a debate once about whether or not artists like Beyonce and Taylor Swift were sort of commodifying and reducing feminism and eroding it in some way. Our team actually won the debate and the winning argument was that your feminist, intersectional feminist blog has no conduit into the bedroom of a young queer teen who is really suffering. But Taylor Swift can get right in there. So, you know, that's the thing is I think what you've done, Jamila, is... You've crept into teenagers' bedrooms. You're an accessible (laughs) point and you've broken into teenagers' bedrooms, which some have said was inappropriate. But I say, you go for it. Um, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about shame is that the things that make it up are quite positive. I was reading about the basics from psychologists about shame. Mm. In order to have shame, you must have self-awareness. Right. Mm. And you must have self-awareness that others are making judgments. And we can use that positively. Self-awareness is a wonderful thing. I mean, there are people who are not cursed with it. And, and, you know, you look at them and you go, uh, you know, sometimes the way they behave, they can have a half empty stadium and no self-awareness that we can see that. (laughs) And listen, we've all had a half empty stadium, but (laughs) in our time, Uh, but self-awareness is a very useful thing. Self-blame is another important point for shame. But again, that can be used very positively. I've been reading the book White Fragility. And if I had no self-awareness or no ability to feel guilt about anything, I would be concerned about myself because there are some things that it's very useful to feel guilty about and want to change. Standards. You cannot have shame if you don't have standards. And so I think what happens is we feel guilty when our standards and our actions don't meet. Um, mm. And so that's fine. You just go, oh, is it important that they didn't meet or they did not meet a bit in a silly way, like an I'm a feminist butt type thing? Or do they not meet massively? And should we work on that? So I think there are elements to shame that we can turn away from shame into being a more positive, whole, healthy, compassionate person that moves through the universe in a much more powerful mm. and productive way. There are good sides, but I'd say there's a big difference between like shame and guilt or sort of knowing that you've done wrong because I think often there's definitely things that it's good to feel guilty about or to blame yourself for or to realize that you've done wrong or you know learn from your actions but I think shame actually just locks you in this cage where you can never even talk about 
any of the things or acknowledge any of them and it almost sends you completely in the opposite oh, direction. I agree. Where you I agree. start yes. hurting people. I always, those I've are always the things like... you need in order to have shame, but so good if you can use those things mm. and not go into the shameful place, but go, oh, that's something I didn't know. Now I'm going mm. to rebuild differently. They're positive, healthy things. Without them, we are Donald Trump. But it's the choice to then say, ah, now I know that, what am I going to do? Or to sink into the shame place. Mm. Sorry, I've, I've always felt like shame is is a good sort of fleeting visitor. I think that's all shame should be, not a permanent resident. You don't want to be in lockdown with shame, which I think most people are. And I think that women in particular are so susceptible and it's sort of planted in us by the patriarchy when we're really young and we sort of water it and grow it ourselves with the help of magazines and social media and other members of our friends or family circles. But um, to me, I think shame at the level in which women practice it feels like patriarchy DIY, where we're doing their job for them after a while. Do you know what I mean? That's a great turn of phrase. Yeah, it causes us to perpetuate the oppression on ourselves and sort of dig ourselves deeper and hurt ourselves more and I think Deborah what you said about shame being connected to self-blame is the biggest thing because I think often as women or anyone that's ever been discriminated against you take a nugget of what someone said to you once and then you continually use it to punish Mm. yourself and to dig yourself deeper and then you know you're off on your own they don't need to bother anymore in shaming you because you're doing it to yourself enough. Do you guys have this thing where you lie in bed at night and you suddenly think about something you said five years ago at a party and you cringe? Does that revisit on you? No, because I'm normally thinking about what I said on Twitter the week before. So <laughs> I don't I have get the luxury. terrible shudders about, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I said that. Or, mm. oh, I get terrible cringiness about things. How would you mm. define shame, Jamila? I don't find it to be terribly helpful a lot of the time, especially when it lives with you for a very long period of time. And it is, to me, the OG pandemic. Like, it's the thing that I think has hurt most people. I think it's responsible for so many mental health issues. I think it is the reasons deep behind war and pain and trauma. And I think it is a weapon used against marginalised people for them to blame themselves for their own marginalisation in a way that I think we have to be done with. And I... And I hope that this last month of mass awareness, you know, albeit late, but better than never, I hope it has uh, forced us to recognise the way that we have shamed people who we have otherised for their own otherization. Was there a moment for you when you felt your shame begin to disappear? Uh, I think sort of the year of my big nervous breakdown when I was 26. Uh, people call it a breakthrough. But I stopped brushing my teeth for like six months. So I'm going with breakdown. Uh, And I have like 45 fillings uh, because of that time. Um, So I had a full nervous breakdown, completely lost my shit, uh, lost my ability to function, cut off loads of my important friendships, stopped talking to my family, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, At the time, it's what I needed to do. But I just completely fell apart and... In rebuilding myself back up, I had to recognise what tools I would need to carry on, you know, because I tried to commit suicide in that year. And I realised that I sort of, I decided that if I was going to continue to try to live on this earth, I was going to have to do everything different. And I was going to have to rebuild myself from scratch, do a full Humpty Dumpty operation and figure out what I do need and what I don't need, who I do need, who I don't need. And one of the things I recognised was really, really toxic 
for me was shame. So I decided I was going to practice a life without it. I'm allowed mild pangs of passing guilt, but I'm not allowed shame any longer. It is no longer a welcome resident in my house. That's great. Yeah, I think the difference between guilt and shame is you feel guilty for something you do. But mm. shame then becomes when you take that on for who you are, that's something fundamental to you. Yeah, it becomes no your identity. Good. I think that's yeah. the problem. And I don't think, I think many things and many people, I think there are some people who are just um, forever assholes, just assholes infinity. But I think some people, the badness or the things that are wrong or dangerous or hurtful about them can be transient. I think we all are capable of change. You know, I, I really love... Professor Ibram Kendi's work and he talks about the fact that let's take racism for example which is sort of a big topic right now he believes that being called a racist shouldn't be a tattoo and yet more of a diagnosis mm. he believes that it's you are diagnosed with racism and therefore you are being offered the opportunity to remedy it and I feel that way with so many different types of bigotry it's like you don't have to be a bigot forever it doesn't have to be your entire identity it can just be something that you've done that you must never do again and the world needs people to heal themselves of yeah. racism. And I think what we've been coming to dramatically in the last month or so is that we are all culpably part of, yeah. if we're white, mm. of a white supremacist system. And that's been brought home to us more than it's ever been brought home to us before. Yeah. Even if we knew that, I think we feel that in our guts a lot a lot more than we've ever felt it before and we need to act on that feeling mm. turning it into shame and then hiding from it is worse than useless no and it's funny because yeah. i've been on the receiving end of so much shaming from people anytime i make even a minor mistake which i find very interesting like i'm all for being called out but what i think is fascinating is the way and we do this in particular with women and then to the power of 10 with a woman of color to the power of 100 with a black woman mm. if she makes one mistake we then cancel everything she's ever done correctly. We dismiss anything she ever got right because of that one mistake. And we use that one mistake to define her, which I think is very, very interesting and upsetting because what is the point of activism if we don't believe in change, if we don't believe in growth? What is the point of us calling someone out unless we hope for them to change? It's a bit like with my own personal friendships. When I don't actually want to be friends with someone anymore, when I, then I will not tell them why I'm angry with them and I will start to ghost them like a coward. But when I actually want to fight for the friendship, that's when I bother to confront someone. So why are you confronting someone if you don't believe that they have the capacity to change? I think it's important to be punitive, but to a point where, yes, call someone out. But this cancel culture, and I, you know, I know everyone talks about it all the time, but I think that that is the strangest part of it. And I wonder if sometimes, you know, because I think women are also very quick to cancel other women. I notice that. And I wonder sometimes if, and this will probably get me cancelled again, but that's fine because it's sort of my vibe, um, <laughs> is that I think women cancel themselves so easily. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think that makes it easier for us to cancel each other. We dismiss ourselves so quickly over the smallest thing. It's like, oh, I didn't reach my goal weight or I looked bad in that picture. Therefore, that whole holiday is a write-off or that one person dumped me. So therefore, no one's ever going to love me and I am unlovable. The ways in which we are so quick to dismantle our own worth to ourselves makes me understand why we are so quickly to completely diminish each other. Mm. And so I do think that that's interesting. I'm not saying that I, we shouldn't be held accountable. I'm merely saying that how hard we go, how, how much we try to punish and refuse re-entry to people who've made mistakes 
where do we think that's going to go? What do we think the progress of that's going to be? Mm. And I guess that's why I love mm. Ibram Kendi's idea that it's a diagnosis. You are problematic as a diagnosis rather than as a forever human. Mm-hmm. I also think when you're incredibly ashamed of something, you can never tackle it and never make it any better. Like I was part of a chapter of Black Lives Matter in New York when I lived there about five years ago. And I think that was really the time for me that I started to acknowledge my own racism and my own, you know, beliefs and the systems of oppression that I was perpetuating just by being me and being myself. And I remember coming home and sort of saying to my family and my friends, like, if you're white, you are, even if you don't think of yourself as racist, we're all part of these, upholding these systems of systematic racism. And, you know, and the anger that I got back from that of people so fervently denying it and you get the same thing when you say to a man who thinks of himself as very feminist and you know when you say like you uphold the patriarchy even if you don't necessarily want to or believe in it and I think until we stop having that angry reaction to shame and angry reaction to guilt nothing gets better because you just spend your whole time denying it and trying to prove it wrong instead of going yeah, that's right. How can I fix that? How can I move on? Which can only come when you don't have that intense, intense crippling shame about it. Yes, I think that's right. I think the quickness to feel shame and the unpleasantness of feeling shame is Mm. what provokes the anger to say, don't label me a racist or a sexist or a homophobe just because I did. That's not what I meant. That's not what I'm like. That's, you know, that's not, that wasn't my intention. What you're doing when you do that, I'm just thinking this through now, but I think what, you know, when I've done it in the past, when I've pushed that off, I think it comes from, it's shame being such an unpleasant feeling that you try and dodge it. You go, oh, get out of the way of that. If it wasn't my first and most obvious intention to do that, then I will not countenance that I might have been doing it accidentally or thoughtlessly, or callously even, because I've just never bothered to ask those questions before. If we look at it as, this is systemic, I was raised in a white supremacist system, it would be weird if I had no vestiges of white supremacy in me. It would be impossible. How would I have got that? I wasn't dropped on the planet like Superman. I I grew I up I was, here. just to be clear <laughs> to everyone. Another scoop yeah. from Jamila Jamil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people say you make up stories sometimes, Jamila. Now, I know. I, I have no idea where that comes from. <laughs> yeah. I, how could I not be? How could I not be part of a white supremacist system? How could I not be a little bit sexist and think that women aren't good at some things deep down inside of me? And that might turn into self-loathing. Of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. I must be. I must be those things. And if you have ever done, have you ever done the Harvard implicit bias test, Jamila or Scarlett? No, I don't know what that is. Oh my God, you've got to do it. It's a test at Harvard. Harvard, Uh, that famously unbiased institution. (laughs) Yeah, well, to be fair, I think it was designed by psychologists, uh, not... not Psychologists, that famously unbiased (laughs) group of people. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I love that those are the quizzes that you do. I do the sort of like, which friends character are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're Phoebe. Uh, You don't need a test. You're Phoebe. She's the only one who would say she was dropped like Superman. I'm telling you. I know. I want you to do a special song now. Um, It's a great test. Uh, It puts up positive words and negative words. And you have to click left 
for positive and right for negative, for example. And then it puts up white faces, Caucasian faces and black faces. And you have to then click left and right. And what you find is if they start to mix the words in with the faces, the task of grouping white faces and positive words and black faces and negative words is much easier than grouping click left for any uh, white face and a negative word or black face and a positive word. And virtually everyone has a lower time, including most African-Americans, because they have been fed the same propaganda. I know somebody who's African-American who was living in New York who did the test every day to get his time down. And then there's another one with women and words like domesticity and nurturing and caring and men with words like ambitious, powerful. And the same thing happens. It's easier for me to group women and nurturing, domestic, lovely than it is to group women with words like powerful, go get them, um, promotion, because I've watched a lot of television shows. It's a great example that no matter what I think I think, systemically I've been trained otherwise and so if we can sort of outsource the shame onto the system and then acknowledge it and go we are all likely to be racist I'm not saying everybody is I'm sure there are some outliers but most of us are likely to be racist most of us are likely to be sexist and most of us are likely to be homophobic most of us are likely to have some biases about disabled people let's start from there and go that's the planet we've been raised on how do we fix that? Is that a more useful way so that individuals are not, not to not take responsibility, but if shame dodging is something that human beings automatically do, is this a better place to start? I think that's very important. I think that that's really the kind of only feasible next step is to just sort of identify our bias and then treat them accordingly. Yes, exactly. And treat the cause, not the symptom. I think that's the thing that we're recognising is that, you know, up until now, we've been sort of some people have been not saying the bad words or not behaving in the bad way necessarily. But the, 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 I don't know, the bigotry, whatever that may be around is is deeply ingrained in them. You know, everything we know, we learned. Uh, I think there was a woman called Louise May. Maybe I don't know much of her work. I just know that she said this one thing that really moved me when I was younger. And I think it was a big part of my recovery was that we are born perfect. We are born feeling no uh, hesitation to let people know when we are sad, when we are lonely, when we feel rejected, when we're hungry, when we need a shit. We love our thighs. We love our stomachs. We have no problem with other people who look different to us. We are just curious. That's all we are. Everything we know, we have learned. And one of the first tools used to condition us to make us, you know, society appropriate is shame. We are shamed out of crying and letting someone know, hey, I feel lonely. I need a fucking cuddle. And now we've grown into, uh, you know, talking about pandemics, like the pandemic of loneliness. We don't tell people when we're lonely. We feel ashamed of even saying, I am lonely. We feel as though that means that you are saying, I am a pariah. There's something wrong with me. Mm. So we don't tell people what's even wrong with us in the first place. I feel depressed. I feel sad. I hate my body. I hate this, that, and the other. I'm in an abusive relationship. We don't reach out and tell anyone because we've been shamed out of it from birth. And so Such a good point. there's so much for us to undo here. There's so much to unravel. We just kind of, I mean, similarly to what happened, I guess, to me at 26, we just need to burn the whole fucking thing down and start again. That's what I did. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Do you know, that's so interesting because I always had a sort of little bit on the inside of my thigh that's like a double thigh that I have. Um, (laughs) When I look at baby pictures of myself, I've always had it. I've always had like a double thigh. I've never talked about this publicly. I don't think I've even talked about it privately, to be honest. This is a scoop. This is a real first (laughs) off. I have got sort of like an extra bit on my thigh that other people don't seem to have. And I never thought to be ashamed of that when I was a little girl. When my thighs were out, that meant I was getting to run around at a pool or at the beach because we lived in Australia near those things. If I could see my little double thighs, my chubby thighs, that was a good day because I was (laughs) getting to swim. And now I'm so conscious of that. And that is a really interesting thing about how we are born loving our thighs. And I remember seeing baby grows that said, the, the, the boy's baby grow said something. It was one of those horrible things that was down on Twitter. The boy's baby grow said, I'm a fucking superhero, you know, patriarch me up, right nice, lock up your daughters. And the girl's baby mm. grow said, I hate my thighs. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Yeah, seen those, That's seen those. Hell, man. You know, it's so, I remember getting shamed about, I remember the day that I got shamed about relying on other people. I was living in Sydney. I was a Jehovah's Witness and some other young women that I was living with. I'd just moved out of home. It was sort of like a, you know, gap year flat. And because we weren't allowed to go to university, so it was a gap between nothing and nothing, school and school and the horror and boredom of knocking on other people's doors, telling them they were wrong forever. And um, <laughs> uh, what a Great gap. summary. And, uh. Uh, and I remember one of the young women who had already lived out of home I felt upset about something or lonely or missing my mum or, you know, one of those things, run out of money, something. And she said, the thing is in the city, because I'd moved to the city, I'd moved to Sydney. She went, you've really got to be able to survive on your own. And she gave me a speech about people who couldn't survive on their own and what other people said about them. And so you've always got to be completely self-sufficient. She told me, you've got to be completely self-sufficient. You must never ask for help. I remember taking that on board and going, never ask for help. Notes, write that down. There's a funny parallel with the babies being born with no bias or shame because Jamila's just got a dog and I remember when I got my dog we were told by a dog person of which there are many um that dogs have about a six I think it's six month window at the beginning of their life where they have to meet as many different kinds of people and go to as many different kinds of places because after that six month window their brains close up and anyone that they haven't met or been exposed to during that time, they'll be scared of. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing that they tell you to do when you first get a dog where you have to introduce them to all different kinds of people. And I remember I was in and out of a wheelchair at the time and our dog trainer said quite nicely, most dogs are terrified of people in wheelchairs 
because they've never seen them before, but your dog's going to be amazing with people in wheelchairs because it's been around you. And I love that idea that it's that simple. It's just as simple as like representation and showing a growing brain all different kinds of people and all different kinds of things in the world and then they'll accept it. Yeah. We were told with my puppy that we have to wear hats otherwise he's going to yeah, freak out if he sees people wearing hats. Yeah. So what, you have to wear hats so in the hilarious. house. You have to wear like yeah, a we have to wear, yeah, opera hat. Wearing a oh, fucking fedora with my pajamas, you know, <laughs> beanie caps so that the dog doesn't shit itself. Wearing uh, like a wedding yeah. hat. Everyone in my house is quite short and uh, we were told we had to find some very tall people and introduce our dog to the, them. Yeah, doing this during social distancing is a fucking nightmare. My dog is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> oh, of course. He's only going to love not... tall Indians. That's his <laughs> Indians to you. Jamila, can I just ask you about the... No, no, you can't. I'm <laughs> fucking fed up. <laughs> about the pylons on on Twitter. And yeah. just because you've got such a huge profile, yeah. but I think if people have ever well. piled on me on Twitter, it's a much smaller, more manageable shaming in a way. Yeah. And my concern when people hit a certain profile and people don't realise, if someone's already told you that then you probably don't need to hear it from 10,000 people because no brain is kind of designed to be able to take that much. Like, even if you think, oh, yeah, actually, now you've said that. I really did fuck up. I shouldn't have said that. I apologise. Could you share your experience of what it's like to have so many people telling you the same thing at the same time? That's just very exciting. It's interesting. It's fun. Um, No, it's... uh, (laughs) Look... I, um, I've had my fair share of fuck-ups because I am a human being who's learning. I've also been a very chaotic, mentally ill person most of my life. And so I think that that means that I'm not as educated. I'm also literally not educated. I left school at 16. So I am just not as educated as I wish I was by this age. And so I'm kind of just figuring stuff out a bit later than other people, but still just trying to make sure that I show my workings publicly, because I think that's something that I felt very intimidated by when I was younger. It's growing up, never having any role models who just made mistakes and then showed me how they worked their way out of their mistakes. So therefore I never felt safe to ask anyone about mine. And I, I've made the decision purposefully to be fallible. And if I do make a mistake to be accountable, not just turn my social media off for a couple of weeks, like just try as much as I can to let people know, okay, I fucked up. This is how I fucked up. This is how you can avoid also fucking up. So I have made that choice to not be as guarded as my peers. My peers, it's so funny. Like this last month has been like somewhat, if <laughs> this is bad to say, but fuck it. Um, it's been quite enjoyable to watch everyone else just be outed as problematic. Cause it's like, we're all fucking problematic and we all are human beings who make mistakes or think we know something that then we don't know. We don't know something until we know it. And because all and most of my peers have been completely silent up until now, mm. everyone's been able to project this ideal, ideal image onto them of just like, mm. they probably know absolutely everything. They have all the right terminology. They have all the updated information and they are perfect and they would never make a mistake. That's what silence enables is mystery. And then they so start we, to make songs and speeches. Well, yeah, but like, and now everyone's sort of tweeting the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or making the wrong weird video. Like, and, and so and we're all starting to see and, and or people are starting to tell the truth about what those people are like to work with. 
And so we're starting to see that all those silent celebrities were silent because, you know, it was that Eddie Murphy quote from when he was 21, where he was like, I don't trust quiet people because I feel like they have the most bones in their, like they have a cemetery in their closet, never mind a skeleton. And they don't want to open their mouth in case a bone flies out. And I think that that's a perfect way to describe. Do you think that's describe... why the royal family? Do you think that's why the royal family just barely open their mouths when they speak? Can you yeah. even imagine how fucking problematic? If you grow up in that bubble, if you grow up in that kind of bubble where you are not exposed to truly anyone different from you, mm. of course you're barely allowed. You're not even allowed to marry anyone different from you. And if you do, you get forced out of the country. So, of course, they must be problematic. Of course, they're quiet. And so I made that decision. I knew what I was walking into when I decided to be outspoken. I know that with women, in particular women of colour, we give them such a hard time. We are so unforgiving. And also there is a cycle in, you know, the mainstream media where we if we have a woman who stands out in any way, either because of her talent or because of her opinions, we give her a year and a half of saying, she's amazing, she's amazing. Everything she says is gospel. That's it. We're starting a new religion with her name in it. Even though she has not asked for that. Mm. We we overexpose her. Uh, everyone champions her. I knew I was fucked the minute I read a, a headline about me that said, Jamila Jamil, the feminist hero we need. And I was like, fuck, mm. no, don't say that. I've been telling everyone I'm a feminist in progress. I coined that term from the get-go to make sure that people knew that I did not consider myself to be superior to anyone or to have all of the answers. I just know that the world is so fucked right now. We don't have time for everyone to become perfect before they jump in and help. We have to jump in and just just mm -hmm. scrap in and try now and learn on the job. We don't have time to wait until we are all professional, perfect, unproblematic human beings. We have to just get stuck in and help now and risk being called out for our imperfections. Let so she be who is not problematic cast the first tweet. Yeah, exactly. So I knew what I was going into and I knew that then what happens is in the pattern, like we look at this even with Anne Hathaway or Jennifer Lawrence, for example, right? Uh, or Meghan Markle. We love them, we love them, we love them. We can't stop talking about them. Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is a really interesting example of, oh, she's so funny and relatable. She's so funny and relatable. She's so funny and relatable. A year and a half later, it's like, oh, I wish she'd stop trying to be so funny and relatable all the time. Oh, mm. she's probably faking falling over. She's faking being drunk. She seems so disingenuous. We punish them for the same things that we put them up on this pedestal for. So thank God I was so old when it happened this time around that I knew what was happening in the cycle and I knew it would be short-lived and I wasn't thinking, everybody loves me. This is going to be amazing. I was bracing myself the whole time for the backlash. The one thing I didn't expect... Because I'm actually weirdly okay with being piled on by a million people when I've made a mistake because mm. I understand everyone's just chipping in and also people are externalising their rage and it's not always personal. But I didn't expect to be taken down with lies. Mm. That really shook me to my core. I never saw that coming. I didn't know how that felt. And now I don't know how Meghan Markle survived what she went through mm. because I've had just a one-month taste of what it's like for people just to spread complete fallacies about you on the internet and then have other very powerful people double down on that and send their 7 million followers towards you. And then everyone is goading you and gaslighting you about your life's trauma. That's that to so me, horrible. that was really... really hard. And I felt really suicidal in February because it was just one after the other. First, some fucking dick uh, journalist accused me of having Munchausen based on such ridiculous information that she'd compiled together and cobbled together in this really sloppy way. 
And then I was uh, accused of lying about my sexuality. And people were saying things like there was someone who's on the board of GLAAD who said, I'm actually in uh, Los Angeles right now. Uh, I'm tweeting from Los Angeles and I can confirm that she is not, in fact, queer. It's like, how the fuck do you know? What, how what can you have confirm been in my that anybody's not queer? Yeah, and then, and then I got accused of contributing so, to Caroline Flack's death three days after she died. Because one year before, I'd said that Love Island, the show, I'd not called her out because I don't consider her responsible. I said, Love Island needs more diversity. And I think at one point I'd also said that I'm worried about this show, Surgery, which is about plastic surgery. I'm worried about teenagers watching that show. I never directed any of my shit at her because she's the host. She's not the creator or the producer. She chose to step in and talk to me. And I very politely and calmly told her why her privilege has stopped her from being able to see why this is an issue. And we have been friends for 10 years. I would never, ever attack her. And we were fine. We were on perfectly fine terms when she passed away. But... Piers Morgan took some screen grab that either I don't I don't even know if it's real, but he took some screen grab out of context where him and Caroline must have been having a chat about me a year ago and used that as a way to steer the country towards blaming me for Caroline Flack's suicide. That was my friend. And three days after she died, I wasn't able to grieve her death. I had to instead take on murder accusations. But how can you not see if you've just driven one woman literally yeah. to the worst possible yeah. action? You know, to then turn that and go, ah, where's another woman we can find now to share screen grabs on? Because they and... want us, because they're not allowed to kill us anymore. They used to just kill us. They'd burn us or kill us. Mm. Now they either want us to kill ourselves or, and I believe this is a big part of what happens with me when, you know, especially female journalists write such bullshit about me, is this credit is the new death. You can't kill them anymore. So if you just kill their reputation, yeah. you kill their credibility, then people will stop listening to them and then they will lose their power. And that's what they want. I'm gaining too much power and people are scared of it. I'm waking people up about the multi-billion dollar diet industry. I'm waking people up about their rights. I'm making people feel less ashamed about mental illness. I'm not perfect, but I'm effective. I'm not a great intellectual. I find it really funny when people think that I think I am, considering my most effective move of activism was shitting on a toilet on a video in a fake advert for a tummy too. That was single-handedly the most effective move of feminism I've ever made that got the global policy on Instagram and Facebook changed. How can I think I'm an intellectual when me screaming and pretending to shit fire on a toilet was my great big move? So that is, well, is. I think you've got some pretty great ideas. And can you tell us about iWay? I can. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So it's, uh, I didn't mean to get like super fired up about it, but it is just definitely. No, I think we, we love really super need fired to up be. On this show. We I really want us up. to be mindful about discredit is the new death. I really want us to read twice when we read an interview about a woman who was allegedly a diva on set, or we read rumors about a woman. Just think twice before you take that on, I, because there is a very. It's so horrible. System. If somebody says that they've been ill, or it is not for you at home to diagnose that they haven't. No. And no. if somebody says they're queer, it's none of your business beyond that. It doesn't you... make my life easier coming out. Like It doesn't help me get Hollywood roles, that's for fucking sure. Talking about my health problems doesn't make me easier to insure on a Hollywood film set. It doesn't make me likely to get cast by Marvel. I did that because I was trying to help, not because it gained me anything. It lost me mm. loads of things. It, you lose so much by being honest about these things. But anyway, so in the name of that same honesty that I've chosen to do in spite of whatever may come my way, although I get fucking exhausted sometimes and annoyed, uh, 
Ai Wei was started as a movement against shame. I saw a picture of the Kardashians and um, back then I was, I was more of a supporter of them and I'm, I'm very surprised by what's happened to our relationship since. But I saw a picture of them with numbers written across their bodies and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's their net worth. So I clicked on the picture and it was actually how much they weigh. Oh my God. I was like, you could never find a picture of a group of businessmen because they are business women. They're an empire. You could never find a picture of a group of men with their weight written across their bodies unless they were maybe UFC fighters. And then once I clicked on that once, the algorithm of social media started sending me thousands of photographs of the same, all different women and how much they weigh. Even pictures of me and how much I allegedly weigh. So I one day just snapped and I was like, you know what? I weigh my relationship, my orgasms, my financial independence, my activism, my friends. I weigh the sum of all of my motherfucking parts. I posted it on social media, didn't expect anything. And then within three days, I had something like 10,000 submissions. So I started an Instagram account. I thought it would be a passing phase. And yet two years later, we still exist. We have 1.1 million followers on social media without having had a social media team or doing any branding deals. And it's this really organic space where people talk not just about body image, but about mental health, about gender dysphoria, about being queer or trans or black or white or Asian or disabled or able-bodied, etc. It is this radically inclusive space where people are done with being told what box they're allowed to be in by society. Where can we find out more about iWay? Is there a website which covers there everything? There is a website called iwaycommunity.com. There is an Instagram called i underscore w-e-i-g-h. There is a... Uh, podcast as the Iway podcast with Jamila Jamil and now we have a YouTube channel because you know what the world needs a 34 year old YouTube star that's truly that's <laughs> what they does. asked I think for it does. yeah and I just I just was a guest on your podcast and it was an absolutely glorious time so uh, thank oh, you thank very you. much for having me and Scarlett's also guested on it so you can hear her episode too Scarlett is there anything you're doing at the moment you'd like us to get on board with where can we follow you Scarlett you can follow me on Instagram at Curtis. And yeah, I'm mostly just up to looking after my little brothers and cooking a lot. Wonderful. But none of but, you are allowed to get involved in that because... But you've got two private. books. No, but you've I got two books. I do have two books. books, yes. I curated two books, so they are books of essays. And you've written a lot in both of them as well. Uh, one is yes. called... One is called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, and one is called It's Not Okay for Blue and Other Lies. And you are both in them, so I am don't buy pink. them for me, buy them for two of you there's lots of amazing people and lots of amazing insights in those books and also get involved with pink protest and you can yes. find scarlet online in all the usual places check her out get involved mm -hmm. and follow her both of you are wonderful women who've started i love the way i am um, sort of start a mini movement just from you i know isn't it amazing well. thank you for tarana burke for starting me too because it really cemented the idea that women's movements could flourish online um, the thing that I would probably want to leave with is that I know this is a really fucking hard time for everyone. And I know that with the world slowing down as much as it has, it's created space for a lot of our old traumas and our old demons to resurface. And so if you are out there experiencing that, I completely understand the will to run away from it. But I would encourage you if you can and if you feel supported enough to try to lean in and utilise this moment of somewhat stillness as an opportunity to look at those things. And please, please think about, listen to the voice in your head and listen to the things that you say to yourself. And I, I say this often wherever I go when I speak at universities and stuff, that if you say something to yourself in the mirror or about yourself as a person, 
that you would not say, that you would not tolerate being said to a woman that you love, don't say it. Mm. You've got to stop yourself from saying it. You can't have a double standard for you, one for you and one for everyone else. You've got to stop the self-abuse because there's enough abuse coming in and us from all different angles. So listen to that. And I beg of you, spend any money that you were thinking about spending on fucking fasting apps and fucking diarrhea teas and fucking cellulite cream, which doesn't work, and anti-aging cream, which is ageist and weird and also not a thing, rather than spending your money on the things that we've been conditioned by the patriarchy to preen ourselves with so that we can be acceptable for them, try to save that money up for any therapy you can. It will be the greatest thing you do when you come out of this lockdown. I would also say if you're looking, I'd second all of that, but um, if you're looking for immediate and anonymous help, the thing I have been doing in lockdown is volunteering for an amazing crisis text line called Shout. So if you ever need help, there are a lot of resources. That's a resource and other resource, especially in lockdown, can be incredibly useful. And final advice, anything is a dildo if you're brave enough. <laughs> That's all you need. Exactly. I mean, you and Scarlett's gran have <laughs> really are grand, grand women of one mind. Mm. Thank you so much, Jamila Jamil. Absolutely brilliant to have you on as a guest. Thank um, you. Thank you so much to everyone who's contributing via Patreon. We had our second monthly Zoom hangout last week for our top patrons and we're doing a special hangout for all patrons on the 2nd of July at 8pm London time. Places are limited on that, so look out for a message coming via Patreon very soon. And we have new merch coming, which will be exclusive to Patreon supporters for the first two weeks. I'm also on the Cameo app where I can make videos for friends and relatives and 100% of the fee goes to Choose Love. So far, we've made $4,500 for Choose Love. So thank you to everybody who has booked a Cameo video. And finally, my book is available as a book, an ebook, or an audiobook, wherever you buy those things. It's called The Guilty Feminist. And if you would like to support me, but are not supporting Patreon, please check that out. And now back to the podcast. Before we go to Grace Petrie and Folky Ben to play us out, we have uh, a very special guest, Sarah Crotwell, who is a performance poet. Over to you, Sarah Crotwell. Hello. Uh, before I start, I'm a feminist, but I didn't know I was one until a man introduced me to your podcast. Yay! <laughs> I'm a feminist, oh, but I was so grateful to the man for introducing me to your podcast, I gave him a rather spectacular blowjob and we did not turn the podcast off. <laughs> that is amazing what, while the podcast was going on yeah did, was i underscoring that. it it was educational and fun undermine them <laughs> sarah your i'm a feminist but is the most shocking i've ever heard in a good way the most like what <laughs> are you with that man now i am not but i'm sure he will be listening to this episode with his new partner I imagine. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. One after another. This is a bomb after wow. bomb. Wow. Can't wait to hear your poem now. Uh, so yeah. Sarah, take it away. Okay. <laughs> I don't shave my armpits. See, leg hair is optional. Only trim my look when needed. A hairy eco-feminist, my father says. But I feel empowered most days, but also slightly pongy. 
a slightly foisty, funky-smelling kind of feminist. You see, I have anxiety. Night sweats, stress-induced hot flushes and thick forests of hair like a yeti, so I do get a little bit sweaty. Despite double ding odoranting and arm-up chicken-wing posture when possible. And I try not to care, but can't help worry a little about the odour trapped in my ample underarm hair. A slightly foisty, funky-smelling kind of feminist. Because we are conditioned to think girls must smell sweet. All flowers and pink, while boys stink freely. Stand proud while they do so. But we shave, and we spray, and we scrub, and we scent, because heaven forbid a woman should smell of her work. A slightly foisty, funky-smelling kind of feminist. Yay! I love that. So beautiful. I love that. So good. What's the line about um, heaven forbid a woman should smell of her work? Yes. Yeah, I think that actually came from your podcast. Did it? You were talking about the shame involved in just smelling as yourself and how we constantly have to mask our own, well, everything. And I think that did actually come from you. But that poem was written for Feminist Book Fortnight. I'm part of a, a female writing collective and we all took inspirational feminist texts that have really helped us and we wrote something inspired by that book and I chose the Guilty Feminist book which I've read more times than I can count. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely to hear, thank you so much. Now it seems like I've brought on somebody who's been so inspired by the podcast but I'm delighted, I'm delighted. That's what you want, that's amazing. And do you have a feminist mm-hmm. writing group? Yes, yeah, I'm part of the TWP, which is the Tease Women Poets. I do the writing workshops for them. We also have performance workshops. And we're trying to create a sisterhood of performance, network and support, because we are in quite a male-dominated small town in the northeast mm. with a very male, egocentric poetry scene. And, yeah, we, we just want to help women and minority genders to get that extra boost in confidence that they need. So that's what we do there. Um, I do actually have a poem about shame, if that would yeah, fit. Yeah, bang it in. Why not? Crack let's, on. Have a, let's have a second poem. Okay. I decided to stop feeling shame for masturbating when I realised if I can please myself, answer my own need, I might spend less time crying in strangers' bathrooms, might start to feel like my body is my own, might start to ask why shame was brought to the table for us to cross our legs under. I decided to stop feeling shame for not being settled down when I realised there were better words to live for than settle when I wrote them myself. I decided to stop feeling shame after sex with men I have no intention of cooking for when Uh, I realised I have a heart that needs blood to pump for it to live. I decided to stop feeling shame for the hair on my body once I viewed it as fur, marking the wild of this woman, embraced my teeth, declared my legs carry more importance than pretty. I decided to stop feeling shame for walking barefoot and ugly in garden, PJ soaked in last night nightmare sweat. Sometimes I need breeze to wake me gentle 
and my middle-class neighbours can go swivel. Hmm. <laughs> I stopped feeling shame for my abortion when I realised a child was not a choice I felt ready to make, but it was my choice and I do not regret it. Stopped feeling shame for my rape, my abuse, my breakdown, when I realised the shame was not mine. And all these things made me who I am. Proud. I decided to stop feeling shame. Thank you. Wow. Yay. So reminds... where can we see more of you, read more of you, hear more of you? Absolutely. You can check me out on YouTube. It's Sarah Cruttwell. Type that in. It's C-R-U-T-W-E-L-L. It's just as ugly as it sounds. And I have a Facebook page. I also have a collection called Polyfiller, which is about uh, feminism, sexuality and polyamory. Wonderful. Great. Well, <laughs> go and buy Polyfiller now and check out Sarah Crutwell on YouTube. I know that so many of our listeners are going to be doing that right now. That's the most important thing to remember about shame and about in particular when it comes to women, all the things that we are told to be ashamed of, told to be thinking about the time, our bodies, how to lose weight, what we're eating every day, how to get rid of our hair, how to make sure that our nails look perfect, blah, blah, blah. All of the external preening that we are forced to obsess over. That, in my opinion, if I can wear my full tin hat, is uh, an attempt to distract us. It's a diversion tactic, because if we have all of this extra homework to do, then how can we ever become the equal? How can we ever stop being the second class when we have all this extra work that we are required to do? When we're sleeping less than we should because we're waking up earlier to preen ourselves. When we're eating less than we want because we're trying to fit into a certain stereotype. When we're over-exercising, etc. Or just spending hours of the day thinking about the way that we look. How can we then grow our mind, our mental health, our well-being, our financial independence, etc. Our friendship groups. How can we grow any of these things? when we're so deliberately distracted. So just remember, it is an act of rebellion to love yourself and celebrate yourself the way that Sarah is suggesting. Yeah, indeed. Did you say, Jamila, that some people confuse you with your character in The Good Place? Well, yeah, they think it, They think Tahani is a real life character that I'm her in real life and The Good Place is a fucking documentary. <laughs> so like, <laughs> think, people think that I, I mean, grew up very really wealthy. Realistic. Yeah, but, but this is it's this about is, the afterlife. How can they think it's real? I th and I, so you and I have spoken about this privately before, where I told you that I think it's because I have the same hair and makeup as Tahani. Because I basically I was given a choice of do I want to spend an hour and forty five minutes? That's how long in Hollywood they tell you you're supposed to spend uh, if you're a woman in the hair and makeup chairs. So you have to wake up at three forty five a.m. and go into hair and makeup. No. I was like, I said to the producers, I was like, how ugly do you think I am? This isn't, a, I was like, we're not using fucking prosthetics. I'm not spending an hour and 45 minutes doing different looks and maintaining continuity. I'll do my own hair and makeup and I demand the same hair and makeup time as the boys. Because I've got to be funny here. I'm not here, this isn't a runway show. This is a comedy. And if I'm going to be able to be as funny as the boys and remember my lines and be upbeat and be energetic and do a take 100 times the same energy, I need to fucking sleep. So because of that, I basically just wore my hair and makeup the way I normally do. It takes me about 15 minutes to do. And because of that, 
I am doubly accused of being Tahani in real life. And Tahani so. is very superficial. And so sometimes people project that onto you. They literally you're... tell me that. And they're just like, you grew up with a silver spoon shoved up your ass. It's like, no, I didn't. I'm not Tahani in real life. Wow. It's a, it's a comedy incredible. about death. As your friend, I can confirm I've seen you in pyjamas about five times as much as I've seen you in real clothes. Which is something yeah. Tahani would Tahani never has be a seen in. Very pretty wardrobe. Um, one thing I forgot to ask you, Jamila, I want to ask you Go now. On. The Good Place is a very, very philosophical show. Is there anything philosophically you took from it? I learned so much, so much from that show about philosophy, especially having not been a very well read person when I got to the show. But I would say, weirdly, Tahani specifically taught me something, which is that the reason this woman has essentially gone to hell spoiler, um, is because she <laughs> is because all of her motivations have been corrupt because she is obsessed with the opinions of others. And I think watching that, I, I got that part around the same time that I was realising I wanted to divorce myself from the expectation of others. I wanted to live my own existence the way that often a straight white male can. Um, and I wanted to try and do that for myself. And so watching how much it corrupted her existence and tortured her and how it was used as a device of torture against her, I realised that that kind of reaffirmed my certainty that I was going to walk through feminism no longer expecting to be popular, no longer expecting to be approved of or liked. I just have a job to do. I have laws that I need to change and I'm here to do that and then fuck off. I've got about 12 people who like me. Scarlett's one of them <laughs> and that's enough for me. Yeah, I always remember <clears throat> Brené Brown saying, who's on your, uh, your panel? Because right. we all do need to be self-aware and care about how the people yeah. care about us. But she says it should sit on one square of paper, like a little square yeah. of paper whose opinion you really take on board. And I think, you know, depending on, you know, what the topic is, you should maybe have a different square of paper um, yeah. for those different things. But I think that's a great thing to take away from Tahani. Uh, I hope you also took some of her wardrobe because I'm a feminist, but she does wear fantastic frocks. I mean, actually, a lot of those clothes, some of them were already mine, especially the suits that she wears in the final season. Oh. But yeah, I definitely did some costume Not, theft. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't see why the patriarchy let us have makeup and all the fabulous clothes. It's the best. Grace Petrie. <laughs> Woo! Um, Deborah Francis White. Thank you so much. How have you been, Grace? Yeah, very well, I think. It's been very, very hot here in Leicester. So we've just been in the garden all day having some G&Ts. But I think I'm, I think I'm capable of uh, <laughs> singing a song for you. Fourth of July is, uh, well, it's American Independence Day, but it's also British people go to the pub Independence Day as well. Will you be <laughs> heading for the pub? Are you scared that it'll be overcrowded I'm and it'll going be to, a cesspit of corona? No, I don't know, man. I just think um, I love the pub more than anyone maybe you've ever met i'm like some of my best friends are the pub um but uh, i think that boris johnson on the news today literally being like uh you know we're gonna open the pubs but on a reduced staff and we're gonna take names and we're gonna take details when you come in i just feel like that is surely an admission that it's just not safe to open the pub guys i think it's just not safe to open the pub and they're gonna take names I don't yeah. want to go to the pub where they take... It's, it's, it's See, I'm, I am unlike this cast of Cheers. Mm. I want to go where nobody knows my sure, name. Sure, sure. <laughs> Very yeah. clear about yeah. that. I yeah. don't want to be where everyone knows my name. But you know what? I, yeah. just, oh, I just recently interested. got into gin and we've got a lot of gin in this house. So um, I'm going to be fine. You are the pub. We you are, are the pub. Yeah. You don't need a pub. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Be the pub you wish to Absolutely. see in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> Live Laugh Pub. I don't know. Um, uh, is this anything? Uh, shall we? Uh, shall we sing you something? Is that the plan? Oh, we would absolutely okay. love it if you sing something. So um, I've sung this song on the podcast before, but I decided to do it today because as we sit here and record, we are still in Pride Month. And um, mm. goodness me, what Pride Month uh, it is. So I'm a cisgender butch lesbian, and that is something that actually has been my butchness, I suppose, has been a great source of shame in my life. I think for many, many years I was very ashamed of being butch. Um, I think a lot of what all of you wonderful uh, people have said on the conversation this evening resonated a lot with me, I think, especially about, you know, the way the patriarchy wants us to feel about things. And, And I think it took me an awful long time. It took me a lot of years to sort of become comfortable with who and how I present and how I look uh, in the world. Uh, And as a cisgender butch lesbian, it is something that is a constant source of um, heartbreak and of uh, enragement to me to see uh, transphobia used in the name uh, ostensibly of furthering the cause of butch lesbians. And that is not something that I identify with or any of my many, 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 many butch lesbian friends identify with. Uh, And, you know, we're coming off the back of... Unfortunately, another couple of weeks of tremendously transphobic headlines uh, here in the UK, uh, people using their gigantic platforms in ways to further unscientific rhetoric, uh, which is uh, it, it serves the purpose of uh, whipping up hatred against trans people and non-binary people. That's what we know that does. Um, that's what that's proven to be doing. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, you know, we were having a conversation about this today when we were having a drink in the garden that I think for a lot of us, I think particularly, I suppose, a lot of white people, we've taken for granted that as we move through this world and as time goes by, we sort of take for granted that the world is getting better and the world is getting a more progressive place. And I think actually that is not something that I've necessarily Mm. seen in my lifetime. And and, uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, across both sides of the Atlantic, we're seeing transphobic legislation come in we're seeing the people who are supposed to be looking out for the rights of lgbtq people and that entire spectrum that entire every single letter in that spectrum is equally valid and we're seeing legislation being rolled back uh, and the people who have the biggest platforms sadly are standing up and saying false things supposedly in the name of butch lesbians to further an agenda of transphobia and uh, so I thought I'd sing this song that you are very well acquainted with Dev that I've sung so many times here but I wrote a song a couple of years ago called Black Tie and it's about being a butch lesbian and it's about you know the idea that I know that there are people in the world who believe that there is a conflict between uh, women's interests as they would describe it and between the interests of uh, lesbians and the LGB community. And I think it is so important, you know, as we move forward in these incredibly unprecedented and divisive times, I think it is so important, more important than ever, to me anyway. I think it's so obvious to me that, you know, we are uh, only as strong as we are united. And I think that, you know, it's uh, at the end of the day, we, we just won't survive, I think, these incredibly challenging times if we don't have solidarity between our minority communities. Um, my trans sisters are my sisters, my trans brothers are my brothers, my non-binary siblings are my siblings. And there is absolutely no cause of uh, LGB liberation that doesn't involve trans liberation. We have to be united as a community. So uh, happy Pride to anybody listening to this. And this song is called Black Tie. Are you good, Mossman? <coughs> Because this two, one, two. Black 
jungle out there The year 2018 I didn't think We'd still be sorting babies into blue and pink And all our progress Well I wonder what it means That the only girls clothes that work for me Turn out to be boyfriend jeans Well that's fine Cause I decline A narrow set of rules that just don't work These red lines I'm in black ties tonight Get a postcard to my year 11 self In her year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit And the images that fucked you Were a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender To a narrow view of gender On the labels and on the doors You will figure out what's yours And it's a bloody nightmare Trying to fight the spread of bigotry and fear That's uniting Piers Morgan and Jermaine Greer And all our progress Yeah, I wonder who it's for to what other trans lives matter here and all I got was a turf war well that's fine cause I decline your narrow set of rules they just don't work and these red lines they're not mine if you need me you can find me ironing my shirt cause I'm in black tie tonight get a postcard to mine Say on the labels and 
Yeah, such a beautiful Thank song. Thank you so much. Cheers. Uh, it was such it's so a hard song. not to sing along. <laughs> you should have. I was like, I you did, don't want I my voice in of, there. <laughs> I did a bit of lip syncing, but then I realised I should not because it's it, there's always a delay and it's going to look at the wrong time to you. <laughs> um, you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Scarlett Curtis, and our very special guest, Jamila Jamil, with poetry from Sarah Crotswell and music from Grace Petrie and Ben Moss. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DCO, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. <laughs>